massive welcome to you. If I've never met you, my name is Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here. Hello, Rory. Great to see you. Um, I think it's crazy, guys. It's December. Hey? Some people are so pumped that it's December. It's Christmas time. They can't believe that the 11 months have already disappeared. Other people are just wishing to wave 2018 goodbye, I'm sure. Um, but here we are. And there was one notice that wasn't mentioned, is that um, our ch- kids' church or children's ministry is going to be closing next week on the 9th of December. And that's going to be shutting down right the way through to the 13th of January. So if you've got kids between the age of 3 all the way through to 12, um, if you can please organize for yourselves to look after them over the next couple of weeks, um, just to give our awesome teachers a break um, over the next four weeks. But this morning I'm excited. I'm going to be going through and continuing through our series of the book of Jonah, who is the reluctant missionary. Um, it is a very short book in the Bible, towards the end of the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long, and it's only 48 verses long. It really is a short book. And last week we saw that Grant was teaching us about that actually Jonah is so much more than just a story about a guy who is swallowed by a large fish. We see in chapter 1 that there's a man who's actually running away from God, but still God continues to pursue him. We see that God creates a storm, that there are sailors on the ship who are battling against the storm to try and survive. They end up throwing their cargo just in hopes of saving a ship. They're crying out to any God they can to save them. They wake up Jonah and they say, please can you pray to your God? And he says, actually, the reason there is a storm is because I am here and I'm running away from God. Why don't you throw me overboard? And he ends up getting thrown overboard and he ends up getting swallowed by a great fish. Sorry, this thing's coming undone. Um, And we see incredibly that God calms the storm and the pagan sailors worship him. They surrender their lives to him. They're overawed and overwhelmed by who he is and what God is able to do. And this is where we pick up in Jonah 2. So if you've got your Bibles with me or maybe an app on your phone or on the screen behind me, we're going to be reading through Jonah 2 verses 1 to 10 this morning. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish saying, I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Now Sheol was not the name of the fish. Okay, Sheol was actually the Hebrew word for the place of the dead. So he's speaking about being in the sea, in this darkness, in a place of dead, because he thinks he's going to drown. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought Up my life from the pits, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I will, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So here we've got a prayer of a guy who is running away from God. God asked him to go to the city of Nineveh to go and preach to them. And he decided that's not what he wanted to do. He turned around, he got on a ship, and he was bound for the city of Tarshish. 
He was a man who knew God. He was a man who spoke to God. And still he decided to do his own thing and disobey God and run away from him. And he tried to put as much distance between himself and God as possible. He tried to get as far away from God as he could. Break from the passage if I can. I'll tell you what happened yesterday. I took my kids down to the beachfront. I've got a little son. His name is Dylan. He's age four. And a daughter. Her name is Madison. She's six. And I took them down on the beachfront to ride their bikes yesterday. It was an incredibly windy day for anybody who was out in the sun. And Dylan's just learned how to ride his bike without his training wheels. So he thinks he can go super fast, is what he calls it. Because now he doesn't have these things slowing him down. And my daughter Maddie is not somebody who loves exercise. She's not somebody who really wants to ride her bike. So I had to coax her to come along. And the entire morning was kind of spent between me being torn between these two, one little kid who's really enjoying the fact that he's riding faster than I am, and he's laughing his head off when I have to try and call him back and just come, I can't see you, please just stop, Dylan, come, come, come. And I've, I've got somebody 100 meters behind me who's just literally like peddling, looking at the, at the sea, at the ships. I'm kind of being torn between these two the whole day. When I say the whole day, we're out there for an hour and we probably only cycled for 20 minutes. But... We went past some of uh, Dylan's friends from school's parents, and we were chatting to them, and we were near Sun Coast, and we were cycling up towards Bark and Bean. And on the left, you've got Moses Mabita, which is always this kind of iconic thing that they always look at and love to see. And Dylan sees that actually there's this beautiful hill going down and underneath the tunnel. And he decides, oh, this is, this is game. So he's 100 meters in front of me, and I can see he's starting to veer left down the hill. He's picking up some speed. And I've got a choice to make. I've got to either try and pick Maddie up, I know that there's people there who she knows and we've just chatted to. I know she's safe. And I know that if I lose sight of them, anything can happen. So I decide to be this amazing dad. And I try and pedal really quickly. And I use my power to catch up to him. He has no idea I'm there. But I can see him going down this hill. He's absolutely loving it. His long hair is waving in the breeze. He's freewheeling. And as he hits the beginning of the tunnel, it goes completely smooth. There's no more bumps. There's no more wind. And I can just imagine the joy in his face as he kind of enters into the space. He's loving being in this tunnel in a place he's never been before. It's exciting. It's fun. It's fast. He's going super fast without his training wheels. And then it starts to get a little bit dark as you go further into the tunnel. And he starts to see people that he's never seen before in his life. And I can see right towards the end of the tunnel, he kind of is just looking around, left and right, left and right. He doesn't actually know where he is. He doesn't know anybody. And I see him slam on his brakes and he stops with his, his feet on his back. And he looks around on his shoulder in a fear of, of kind of hesitation on his face. And as I see him look at me, I said, hey, buddy, how's it going? And I saw his face change from that of fear and hesitation to that of joy because I was right there beside him. Even though he was having fun the entire day, getting away from me and trying to ride as fast as he can and me having to catch up with him, it was in a moment where he thought he didn't need me and actually he did. And he looked around and I was there. And I feel the same when we look at the book of Jonah. We've got a guy who's running away from God. He's trying to put as much distance between himself and God as possible. And in his moments of distress and his moments of need, he cries out to God and God was right there. God sent a fish to save him as he was drowning in the depths of the ocean. And God was right there. He was watching, he was waiting, and he was present. I feel like maybe some of us are actually running away from God. We feel like there's things that we've done. We feel like there's things that actually in our lives we don't want God to be a part of. So we're trying to get away from Him. But actually God is right there. If we turn around, He's there waiting. He's there presence. He's watching over us. 
And we can see that so beautifully in the story of Jonah. What we see is when he's in the sea, he cries out to God and God sends a fish to swallow him up. And that's where we start in chapter 2. We see Jonah in the belly of the fish and he's crying out to God in this beautiful prayer, which we're going to get into this morning. And as I was reading through many different commentaries and listening to different preachers about this, trying to understand what the scriptures are actually saying to us, something that struck me was actually there's so many different variations of what people think happened to Jonah while he was in the fish. Some people think that actually Jonah died and then he came back to life inside the fish. Some people think that Jonah was drifting in and out of consciousness as he was in this fish for three days and three nights. But at some point, he must have been conscious in the water as he was drifting down into the darkness to be able to cry out to God and say, save me. And God sends a fish to swallow him. And while he's in the belly of the fish, he's able to utter this beautiful prayer that we've just read. And he's in a good state of mind to be able to actually process and think through all the different verses that we've read. And I think what's interesting is that actually all of us, if we think about a man being trapped inside of a fish, we're probably thinking of a Disney cartoon, something similar to what happens in Finding Nemo when Dory is kind of in the whale and she's saying, Hey, whale, how do we get to Sydney? And we can actually almost picture Jonah holding onto the uvula of the fish, which is that big dangling thing in the back of his throat, trying not to get sucked down to his stomach. And he's trying not to drown. Because that's what I think of when I think of Jonah inside of a fish. But actually it says that he was trapped in the belly of the fish. In a place that was probably dark. I mean, there's no lights inside of a fish. It probably stank. It was probably stomach acid. It was probably a really confined space. It wasn't a space you really wanted to be in. And I'm not saying these things to be funny. I'm saying these things to actually make us think about the context into which Jonah is praying. Actually understand the context of what the situation that he is in, what he has come out of, and where he is literally physically praying. Because he's inside the belly of a fish. And what's so beautiful about this story is actually he was in a desperate and dire situation in the depths of the sea, and God sends a fish to save him. And he goes through this prayer. He recounts the steps of what happened. He's trying to articulate his feelings as he has a conversation with God. And he's in a moment, he's in the belly of a fish, and he meets with God. He stopped running. He stopped running away from God, and he's in a a place where he can be alone with God. And what's amazing about that is actually God can meet us anywhere. He can meet with us while we're driving in in our cars. He can meet us while we're at work. He can meet us on the sport field. He can even meet us in the belly of a fish. And it's a moment when Jonah encounters God. So Jonah begins this prayer. And he begins this prayer by talking about the despair and the dire situation and this hectic scenario in which he finds himself. Every single reference in his prayer speaks to the depth of the situation that he was in. And some of the words are going to pop up behind me. But he says, He uses language like this. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, he says, in the deep, in the heart of the seas, your flood surrounded me. He doesn't say there's a little bit of water trickling on my face. He says he was completely surrounded by the flood of water that existed in the ocean. Your waves and billows passed over me. You can kind of picture this guy sinking into the sea, seeing these massive waves of the storm crash over him as he drifts down and down further and deeper into the ocean. It's incredibly deep imagery in the moment where we see him in the ocean struggling for his life. Complete darkness, probably bubbles everywhere as he frantically tries to swim to the top. 
He says, your waters closed in over me to take my life. You can see he is on the verge of drowning. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. He's saying, actually, I was completely wrapped in weeds. I was at the place which is the foundation of the earth, where the mountains rest, where their roots go down. God, that's how deep I was. And he speaks of that place. An incredibly vivid image of a man who is drowning in the dark, who is completely unable to breathe, who is struggling to get to the top. When all he wants is a little bit of air. And in this place is where he cries out to God in distress. And God saves him. And this scene causes us to think and emotionally connect with Jonah in this situation. Because he was completely overwhelmed when he was thrown into the sea, struggling to stay alive. How we can actually be completely overwhelmed in our situations in our lives. Maybe we're going through retrenchment at work. Maybe we're struggling with a recent miscarriage. Maybe we're going through a divorce. We're fighting with a kid who's going through a drug habit. Whatever it is, we can identify with Jonah in this difficult situation that he finds himself in. Where he's drowning, maybe you feel like you've got no hope. Where you're completely desperate and helpless and you don't know what to do. And we see God answer his call of distress and he sends a fish to swallow him up. And what I think is amazing is I doubt that Jonah thought that God would send him a fish. Probably the last thing he wanted. Probably thought, ah, oh, maybe I can just grab onto a piece of that cargo that they chucked out earlier. Or maybe God's just going to send a plank of wood or a boat that's going to miraculously going to cause me to pop out into the top of the ocean. I doubt very much that Jonah was sitting there going, God, please put me in the belly of a fish. And what's amazing about that is actually we see that God's ways are so completely different to our ways. That when we're in a moment of distress, we think that we know what we want for ourselves and we want God to fix it. But actually God could be doing something completely different. But God is still there. And I think what's amazing about this is that, yes, God saves him, but God brings him to a position where actually he's able to spend time with Jonah. He's able to actually spend some time one-on-one. Jonah cannot run away anymore. He's in the belly of a fish, and he's able to spend time with him. And sometimes when we're in stressful situations, when we're out of our depth, actually, instead of trying to fix it and solve the problem, we need to be running to God. He might not necessarily solve the problem, but actually when we spend time in his presence, he's able to help us through it. Is this working okay? And I think what I love is as we see Jonah process this imagery as he's praying to God, he's talking about the situation that he was in, he's inside the belly of a fish. He talks about a situation, the distress that he found himself in. He says these words. He says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So Jonah, knowing what he has done, knowing that he has heard the word of God to go to the people in the city of Nineveh, he has turned the opposite way. He has run away from God. He is running away from God's will for his life. He has sinned against God. He actually feels like God doesn't even want to look at him anymore because of what he has done. And in that moment, he says, actually, God, even though I feel like you don't want to look at me, I'm going to look at the place where you dwell in your temple.
It's an incredible moment of faith because we see Jonah here look not only at his situation, but actually pulls himself together. He pulls himself up and he says, if you're not going to look at me, God, actually I'm going to look to you. Because the temple actually represented to Jonah the gospel. The temple is a picture of salvation and hope. It's the reality that even though God was separated from mankind when sin entered the world, God actually wanted to come and dwell amongst human beings. And Jonah feels completely separated from God. He looks to the temple and he knows from the scriptures that actually God made a temple so that he would be in the middle of the Israelites, so that he could dwell with people, even though he was separate from them because of his laws, because of their sin, that actually he still wanted to be with people. And he looks at that as a picture and it gives him hope of salvation, hope of actually wanting to spend time with God, that God wants to spend time with him, that actually he doesn't need to be completely distanced from God, but he can be near to him. And he utters this, he says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. It's an amazing moment of faith that we see displayed as Joseph, Jonah begins to pray while he's in the belly of a fish, in the midst of a dark ocean, in a dramatic scene. We see him pray this prayer and process his situation and actually process his faith and understanding his relationship with God. See, Jonah was a man who grew up knowing scriptures. And in a moment of distress, we actually read through this prayer and we see that there are seven psalms that he joins together and he utters to God. Because in a moment where actually he's completely helpless, the things that come out of, outside of him are the scriptures that are written on his heart. When he recounts the stories of God being involved in people's lives, people going through similar situations to him, God redeeming them, God being amongst the people throughout all of history. He looks to the scriptures in his moments of need, and what comes out of him is the things that were written on his heart. It's incredibly beautiful moments as we see him begin to remind himself and process and think and have a conversation with himself and saying, yes, this is your situation, but actually let's look at what God has done and how good God is and the place that he's put with you in and the things that he's done in all of history with all of mankind. We see him remind himself and talk to himself in this moment as he begins to stir up his faith. Because I think for a lot of us, we think faith is like a switch. We can just flick it on and off. But actually, it's so much more than that. It's not like a thermostat where we set the temperature to 20 degrees, it gets a little bit hot, the air conditioner comes on, and it cools the room. Actually, no, faith is something we've got to work at and think about and process. We've got to read scriptures to understand, actually, what has God been doing with people in all of history? And those things are what's going to push us towards God when we feel like we're distant from Him. Jonah's story encourages us to get to know our scriptures better. Because in a moment of distress, what's going to come out of us? Are we going to be trying to solve it ourselves or actually are we going to be driven towards God because we know His goodness and His kindness and His grace to us? So he continues to speak on. He said, I've distanced myself from you. I feel like you don't want to look at me, but I'm going to continue to look at you. And then he says this. He says, The waters in the deep surround me. The weeds wrap around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet... You brought my life from the pits, O Lord my God. Continue to talk about a situation that he's found in, but what's so significant about this verse is that it was before it was the Lord, and now he is saying the Lord my God. He's stirred up his faith. He feels like actually he's no longer in the depths of despair, but he's being lifted up out of the pit where the bars were going to close in upon him, and he's saying actually you are the Lord my God. 
I have a relationship with you. I understand who you are. My faith is stirred. Actually, I'm no longer in desperate need because actually, God, I can have a relationship with you. Then he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He realizes that in his cry of distress, God heard him and God sent a fish to save him. That actually God is a God who is real, that he is alive, that he wants to engage with people, that he engages with Jonah. He hears his prayer, his prayer goes into the holy temple and God does something about it. That Jonah's prayer doesn't fall on deaf ears when it comes to God because God wants to have a relationship with him. And the next verse is an absolutely incredible verse because it speaks of pure revelation of Jonah in this prayer. It's a pivotal moment for the story of a man who ran away from God, who turned his back from God, who almost sunk a ship. He got tossed into the sea. He got swallowed up by a fish. He's in a completely desperate situation and he cries out to God. In his helplessness, helplessness, he reminds himself of God's promises and he comes to the point where actually he knows that he did something wrong. And he says this, he says, Those who pay regard to, fa- to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. So Jonah's gone on a bit of a journey. He's been thrown into the sea. He's talked about his distress. He's pulled himself together and he said, Actually, I'm going to look to you, God. He recognizes that God wants to have a relationship with him. And through this, he actually has a revelation of the fact that he has an idol in his life is distancing him from God. And that idol in his life is actually vanity for himself. It's thinking that he is better than the Ninevites that God has called him to. It's nationalism, it's pride, it's racism. He he actually thinks that he is better than the people God calls him to, and why would he have to go and do that? So he turns from God and he runs away. And in the sentence he says, "Those those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He's saying actually the people who live for their idols forego having a relationship with you, God, because they're replacing you with the thing that they desire more than you. When they pursue those idols, actually they're giving up the steadfast love and the hope that we can find in you. And then he does a beautiful thing. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And in understanding this and having a revelation of it, he says, actually, God, I'm going to surrender everything to you. I understand that I had an idol, but actually, I just want you now. I'm going to sacrifice everything that I thought, everything of my life, everything of who I am. I'm going to give it to you. Because actually, you're the one who saved me. And he does this while he is still in the belly of a fish. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. He doesn't know if he's going to die, if he's going to live. But he's come to the realization while he's inside the belly of a fish that this is what God has done for him. This is the position where he is. And actually he gives himself over to God in surrender. The next verse is my favorite one in the passage. And you can kind of see Jonah going through this journey of distress to faith stirring up, to revelation, to understanding that God wants to have a relationship with him. And you can kind of imagine him shouting this at the end of this long prayer and journey of seeing him come to a relationship with God. And he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. There's even an exclamation there because I think emotionally he's kind of figured this whole thing out. He's gone on a bit of journey and he's exclaiming right at the end because he's actually had a revelation that salvation belongs to God. It had nothing to do with Jonah. It had everything to do with him. Because he's come to the point where he understands that it's God who has saved him. 
that it's got nothing to do with Jonah, it's got everything to do with God. And what's amazing in this moment is that Jonah was actually a religious professional, he was a prophet, he was a man who knew the scriptures, he was a man who saw God do different things. So we would probably label him a man who knew God, a man who was a Christian. Even he didn't understand the grace of God. But in this moment, he understood it. Because God chose to save him in a moment of his distress, despite how Jonah felt about God, despite the fact that Jonah was running away from him, in that moment, God actually chose to save him. And that's when he realizes, and he says and exclaims to himself, salvation belongs to the Lord. If there's anything that you remember today, it's those five words that Jonah exclaims at the end of this beautiful prayer, and he just says, salvation belongs to the Lord. What's interesting is that the fish is not the salvation. Because that's what so many of us think. Actually, in his time of need and distress, that's what saved him. But at the end of chapter 1, we see that it was God who appointed the fish to swallow him. That actually God is a salvation, and his vehicle for salvation in that moment was a fish. And it says at the end of that, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And three days and three nights is very similar to what we see happening in the New Testament with Jesus. And in Matthew 12, verses 40 to, 1, 40 to 41, we see Jesus talking to a couple of people and he says this. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment for this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So what's amazing is what we'll see next week, if you haven't read the book yet, that Jonah lands out into dry land, he goes to the city of Nineveh, he preaches a message, and the whole city comes to know God. And Jesus is speaking to these people, saying, the people in Nineveh responded to the word that Jonah preached. But I am here, and I am greater than him, and I preach a message of salvation that is way greater than what he preached. And Jesus speaks about the fact that actually he's going to die. He's going to go into the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. And he's going to be risen from the dead because he is our salvation. And we look back at this prayer and we see that Jonah looked at the temple to remind himself of God's goodness and the fact that he wants to have a relationship with people. The problem with that is God would only engage with people who were above the law. And if they weren't above the law, if they didn't actually live in accordance with his laws and commandments, then they would have to sacrifice an animal. Blood would need to be shed so that they could be a position to be right with God. And what we see is Jesus so beautifully and gracefully steps down from heaven as a sacrifice of the Son of God to come once and for all to reconcile man to God. So we don't have to, we don't have to look at a temple anymore to see God's goodness, but actually we can see Jesus and his grace. We don't have to be like Jonah and look at a temple to be reminded that God wanted to have a relationship with us. We can look at the cross and we can see what Jesus did for us. And we can be reminded that God wants to have a relationship with us. And we can be completely forgiven and set free. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. In the same way that there was nothing that Jonah could do to obtain his salvation in that moment of distress, when he's drowning in the depths of the ocean, there's nothing that we can do to obtain our salvation. We can't work harder, we can't earn any stripes, we can't read many scriptures and books. All we've got to do is actually believe in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. And right at the end of this chapter, in verse 10, we see, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. 
I think there's one thing worse that's vomiting. It's being vomited out of something. <laughs> but what I love in this last verse is we can see God's sovereignty so beautifully displayed again because at the end of chapter 1, he appoints the fish to swallow Jonah. At the end of chapter 2, he, appoint, he tells the fish and speaks to the fish to vomit him out onto dry land. What I love about that is he didn't tell the fish to vomit him out 100 meters underwater in the same place where he started. He doesn't tell him to vomit him 3Ks offshore so he would still have to swim to the land. He vomits him out onto dry land. And the same way with us with Jesus, actually he doesn't just wash our sins a little bit, he makes us completely clean. When we come to him in despair and desperation, full of shame and guilt, actually he takes everything away. Because he vomits us out into dry land, so to speak. And that's what we see in this story with Jonah. Please don't you stand with me. I think as we read through chapter 2 in Jonah, we can see a man who is trapped in the belly of a fish with an incredibly elaborate prayer in which he reflects on a desperate situation that he's gone through. He prays through some of the Psalms. He reminds himself of the goodness of God. Even though he feels distant from God, actually he looks to the temple to remind himself that God wants to have a relationship with him. He comes to a point of revelation and grace of God and he understands that salvation belongs to the Lord. I think what's so interesting is we see in the story that actually there's a moment where God stops Jonah from running and he gets him to spend time with him alone. And it's a beautiful prayer as we see Jonah process his faith, as we see him have revelation of who God is, as we see him surrender his life and commit his life to God, as he understands God's grace and God's salvation. And if I can ask you to please close your eyes. We're going to sing one last song together. And I think for us now, it would be a great time for us to stop and to spend time with God. But actually now is the moment for us to think about a situation that maybe we found ourselves in, where we are hopeless, where we are in distress. And actually now is the time for us to cry out to God. Now is the moment for us to think through and maybe process our faith. When we actually don't understand things, now is the time for us to look at Jesus to think through some scriptures, to put ourselves in Jonah's position. Now is the moment for us to remind ourselves of his promises and his goodness. Now is the moment for us to look to Jesus, even if he, we think that he doesn't want to look at us for what we've done. Now is the moment for us to remind ourselves that actually salvation belongs to the Lord. We're going to sing a song together, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have communion together.